Island Defenders, welcome to episode 112 of the most LAFC podcast on earth, Defenders of the Bank with Philly and the Scarf. We are calling this episode, It's It's Gotta gotta Be be the the Shoes. For those who are unaware, yes, we are referring to the old Spike Lee Air Jordan Nike commercials. Great commercials. But in the case of today, we are referring to the wonderful start of most of our mornings. 7 a.m. The LAFC Adidas Sambas. More on that later, or maybe not. I don't know. Depends on how we feel. It's been a strange day. Was Philly being sarcastic when he said wonderful? Only time will tell. Tongue in cheek on that one. Whoa, family podcast. In case this is your first time listening to us, thank you, by the way, for listening, and we hope you enjoy this magical, mystical ride we will be taking you on. Maybe bitter and somewhat angry, but, you know, you decided to tune in. I am one half of your dubious dynamic duo, the East Coast dude with black and gold attitude, beast from the East, Christian Philly Philemon. And with me, as per the huge, the procurer of all LAFC scarfs, original and obscure, the tyrant of threads, in German he would be called Die Schall, in Spanish La Bufanda, I am so lovingly fond of the mouth of the South Bay, J.R. Liebert. The scarf, what is good everybody, and the answer to that right now is not that much, not that much. Today was a rough one, it is of course... Derby Day here in Los Angeles, and man, was that a depressing tweet that I read by Major League Soccer. Their tweet was just very simply, Los Angeles belongs to the at Galaxy, which is pretty gross. We will get into the 2-0. Honestly, it was a beating that we took today at Bank of California Stadium, what only the Sixth time we've ever been shut out at Bank of California Stadium. We haven't even lost that many games ever. You know, Philly, I had some fun things planned for the start of this episode. You and I both were expecting a blowout, but the other way around. LAFC, the last two matches that we had played against Carson, in aggregate, we won 11-5. But that was not to be today, Philly. But, you know, I am going to bring up one of the the more lighthearted, fun things that I thought we would talk about here on episode 112. I think we all need a little bit of lightheartedness after that drubbing. So thank you for even contemplating bringing up something lighthearted. Absolutely, Philly. Something that you and I actually haven't talked about pre-episode. Philly and I do have episode meetings. It usually also involves maybe gin or whiskey. but <laughs> Or both mixed. Something, well, something that I didn't bring up to you, Philly. I would like to announce, you guys know if you listen to the podcast, my Bundesliga team is Union Berlin. Big fan of Union Berlin. I don't necessarily have a Serie A team or a La Liga team, but Philly, I am proud to say that I have finally chosen my premiership team, my EPL team. Oh, oh, this is big news, actually. Big news. This might be the best thing or worst thing I've heard today. No, I have a feeling, Philly, you are going to be on board, my friend. The hated rivals of Crystal Palace themselves, AFC Richmond, my friends. I (laughs) have jumped on the bandwagon of AFC Richmond. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Philly did a wonderful job at the start of all of this quarantine, you guys, bringing up all kinds of great soccer documentaries, great movies to watch, just making you smarter and better humans at soccering. I just created a verb there, soccering. But 
I got to tell you, one of the most fun things out there right now on the television is on Apple TV, and it's the Ted Lasso television series. Jason Sudeikis absolutely kills it as Ted Lasso, and I thought it would be like a a stupid kind of tongue-in-cheek comedy series, but Philly, you and I watched the first three episodes together on Apple TV. It is actually really good television, lots of drama, some fun there. Please check out Ted Lasso, and you will understand why I am forever a fan of AFC Richmond. I feel silly that I didn't actually predict or see that one coming. Of course you would have talked about Ted Lasso and Jason Sudeikis. It's only natural. You threw me a curveball. Normally it's me throwing you the curveballs. I appreciate being on this side of the uh, the batter's box, my friend. Anytime, you know, a little bit of levity. Honestly, seriously, a lot of you out there as part of the Black and Gold Faithful, the Defenders listeners, of course, we call you the millions. And millions. Of Defenders of the Bank listeners, if you need a little levity after watching that match, because that match was rough. I, I will say, it, Philly, for me, and we'll talk about our, our reaction a little bit later, hardest LAFC match I've ever had to watch for several reasons, and we'll talk about why after the recap of the game. But I'll tell you why that was the hardest match I've ever had to watch. If you need a little levity in your life, these episodes are 30 minutes long. It's actually fun to watch. And if you hate it, look, let me know. Because people are already calling this the hashtag blame the scarf game. Because, look, Scarf Stradamus hasn't been wrong a couple times in a row. Scarf Stradamus is what you would call on a very, very cold streak right now. So I I think what we're going to do is retire Scarf Stradamus until the next maybe LAFC streak of wins or something, and then we'll bring him back. But Philly... It's it's a rough start to the day for us, my friend. Should we start calling you Scarf Van Gogh? Perhaps we all cut off our ears listening to your Scarf Stradamus predictions? Yikes. <laughs> Just kidding. The, the it wasn't a starry, starry night for us. Though, the Defenders of the sure. Bank podcast does not condone cutting the ears off at any time. This <laughs> has been a public service announcement from Defenders of the Bank. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, now, on this show, we're going to follow the same format we always do. We're going to give you this day in LAFC history. We're going to give you our LAFC news and notes, and there's a fair amount of that today. We're unfortunately going to give you the match recap versus the fallacy. More on that later. We're going to give you our wait. What? Moment of the pod. And we're going to talk to you about what's going to happen next. And as rough as this batch and as rough as this day has been, we have a four-day turnaround. So we'll be able to put this to rest. Think of this as your way of exercising the the anger and the aggression. Because look, even though we're that glass half full perspective pod... It's going to be really tough for us to really get that glass full perspective, half full perspective, that is, out of this pod. But anyway, you know this is no mystery. It's time for this day in LAFC history. Take it away, Professor Bufanda. Yeah, that's right. It's time for this day in LAFC history. And we are sitting in beautiful Culver City, California today, the heart of Screenland, as they like to call themselves, on Saturday, August 22nd, 2020. So we will start with August 22nd. In 2018, the LAFC Academy U13s win the CONCACAF Champions League title, the first international trophy in LAFC club history. And if you know anything about the Academy, we have had an extremely successful Academy since its inception culminating really this season with the signing of our first three homegrown players out of the academy. So really cool. Kudos to this day in LAFC history's 822-18, the LAFC Academy's U13s winning the CONCACAF Champions League title. The very next day, August 23rd, 2016, this was a huge day 
in LAFC history, Bank of California Stadium's official groundbreaking ceremony with LA Mayor Eric Garcetti. So they began building the bank four years ago tomorrow, 8-23-16. And then our last two highlights for this day in LAFC history both also feature the battles for Los Angeles. 8-24-18, the third and final El Trafico, as some people like to call it, not really us, for LAFC and Carson. This one was in Carson. It was a 1-1 tie. And of course, if you know anything about the first two years of the rivalry, if there was only one goal scored by either side, it was Carlos Vela and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It was Zlatan's 499th career professional goal. And Carlos Vela tying it up in the 51st minute. That's 8-24-18. And on August 25th, 2019, the fifth Battle of Los Angeles in club history, the second of 2019, and unfortunately another tie. That stalemate ending 3-3, and of course that was the incredible Paradise City Tifo before the match. It was a first-half brace for Latif Blessing with Carlos Vela getting in on the action in the 53rd minute. Zlatan had a brace himself, and that was also, if you remember, the debut for Brian Rodriguez after Carlos Vela coming off with a bit of a hamstring injury. A little bit of a segue, Philly, from what we're going to talk about today. And the honorary Falconer for that game was the captain himself, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And that is this day in LAFC history. All right. Thank you for that, Dishal. Grazie, grazie. Now, let's move into LAFC news and notes. And we've got a couple of things to talk about. The first thing that we want to address is the stepping down of club president Tom Penn. This was announced on Tuesday. As per LAFC.com, Tom Penn is stepping away from the club president role to become the CEO of Co.Protect, a new business venture he recently co-founded, which provides branded protective equipment to, drumroll, LAFC, Major League (laughs) Soccer, and other sports leagues, companies, and municipal organizations. He's going to stay involved with the club as an executive consultant. During his tenure, he accomplished quite a lot. I mean, he really did. He was there at the conception of the LAFC idea. He helped our club make history on and off the pitch. We won the 2019 Supporters' Shield and broke several records in just our second season. He was named the 2018 Los Angeles Sports Council Executive of the Year. LAFC was named the Fast Company's annual list of the world's most innovative companies and front office sports best employer in sports list in 2019. He's done all kinds of wonderful things for this club, and for that, we want to thank you, Tom. You are black and gold to the fullest, and not because you are still part owner of the team, but because you were there from the start. You were there for everything and helped build something huge that will last all of us a lifetime. Although he leaves the role, he does leave us in the very capable hands of the MLS 2019 Executive of the Year and our Chief Business Officer, not to mention friend of the pod, Larry the Legend Friedman, and of course the amazing John Thorington. These guys are two of the best execs in the league. Dare I say, if not in sports. If we lose either or both of them, then I'd freak. But I think we're going to be okay. What do you think, Scarf? Philly, Tom Penn was the face of LAFC before we ever played our first match. When ESPN wanted to interview anybody about the goings-on at LAFC, the face, the name, the heartbeat, the energy that they chose was Tom Penn. And Tom Penn has been the steadying force 
over the first five years of our organization, this club that we love so much, Tom Penn has been the rudder, steering it through the media, through the press, through his own appearances, and whatever he says when it comes out of his mouth, he is LAFC to the core. I am, I am sad that Tom is stepping down. My first time I ever met Tom, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to share it anyway, <laughs> I, I had to pee so bad. And this was after an event very early on. It was an open house at Bank of California Stadium before any match was ever played. And I think I had just found out where my seats were. And I, man, did I have to pee. Newsflash, there may have also been some gin and tonics involved. And right before we were leaving, I was like, you know what? Let me just go to the bathroom before, I mean, I had to pee. And I ran through a door that I didn't know wasn't the right door that I was supposed to run through. And on the other side of that door, heading, if it were five seconds later, I would have knocked the poor man over. It was Tom Penn. And Tom Penn looks at me and he goes, hey, um, you need some help finding something? And I go, oh, hey, Tom, I really have to pee. And he goes, oh, you know what? Come with me. And he took me back into like whatever offices I had opened the stupid door to into their <laughs> bathroom and just waited for me to come out and came back out. And then the entire way back, because it was a little ways. I, I was, look, I was a little lost. This was before I knew the bank. Uh, we, he just talked. He's like, oh, well, where are you going to be sitting? And are you excited for everything? And just the nicest human being. I, if you didn't know who the guy was, you would have thought, oh, this is a club executive. He's in a nice suit and everything. But I don't know. I don't know who this guy is, but he's really nice. It was the, it was the president of our club and could not have been nicer. And the thing is about Tom Penn, that's the story that so many other people have to tell about how nice and how personable and how down to earth and how he actually made you feel like you were in that moment with him. He didn't have someplace more important to go or someplace else he'd rather be, even those were both probably true, especially when he had to escort some knucklehead to the bathroom. Especially after several gin and tonics. Several, yes. So I just, I'm bummed that Tom is leaving his primary role in the organization they said he's staying on an executive consultant which will be great and Tom the defenders would more than happily invite you up to founders you can go there anytime you want I know you have that cool pass but just come <laughs> on up to founders and share a beverage with us if you can next time we are all at the bank Tom Penn thank you for an incredible first five plus years absolutely absolutely now transitioning into the next bit of news we have a new player on our team a new signing Mohammed Triori. Triori, yeah you got that all right. I you mean, I, I, look, I've done my homework. I do my things. I you do did. my research. You did. So the day before Dio's departure was announced, LAFC dropped 50K to the Vancouver Whitecaps and moved to the number one spot on the MLS waiver list. That move enabled the acquisition of 18-year-old Mohamed Traore. The young Senegalese defender joins us from the Monteverde Academy in Orlando, Florida. Orlando again. He joined the academy as a freshman at the tender young age of 14. His senior year, he managed to get seven assists on a team that went 21-4-1. Pretty good season, if you ask me. He also appeared with the U-17 Senegal national team this past year. The watchful and insightful eyes of John Thornton strike again. Love to see how this young man develops. We may have a call with his coach on Monday or Tuesday of this week. You may or may not have heard that, but stay tuned for that. Welcome, Mohamed. Welcome to the best damn club in this league. Yeah, Philly, he comes from the Montverde Soccer Academy, 
And Montverde is kind of a big deal in the high school academy circuit here in the United States. Last year's Rookie of the Year winner, Andre Shinyashiki, also went to Montverde. And while Shinyashiki was there, he helped lead Montverde to get this 117-match unbeaten streak and two straight national championships, 2013 and 2014. I do not believe Mohamed was on either of those teams because he and Shinyashiki are like six years apart. But that's still pretty cool. This is a an academy that's really making waves kind of under the radar and I'm excited to see what we can get. Look, we all were scouring the unemployment line, right, in Major League Soccer. Was it going to be Steven Betashore? Was it going to be a bunch of other guys who have been looking for work for the last couple of months? Nope. What does our front office do? They go out and get this young kid, 18 years old, and it really looks like it's a development talent that we brought in at LAFC. And Lord knows, you could, just like in baseball, you can never have too much pitching. You can never have too many players that can play on that back line for you. So really excited for this kid, 18 years old. Not sure he'll get any burn anytime soon. Our defense didn't look terrible today, so I'm not calling for Traore to get any significant minutes. But it's cool to see this young kid in black and gold. Yeah, no doubt. We obviously welcome everybody with open arms that joins our club. So we wish you all the best, Muhammad. Now comes the rough and painful part of this podcast. And that's giving you the match notes and recap of this awful matchup that we played today against the Carson Fallacy. Now... Many people have asked us, where did the term fallacy come from? Why do you guys refer to them as the Carson fallacy? And for the record, it's pretty much you that refers to him as the Carson fallacy. Yeah, but it's gained a bit of attraction. I hear a couple other people referring to them as fallacy. But really, to understand why we call them the fallacy, we have to quote the great Noah Webster's best-selling book, The Dictionary. Hmm. The word fallacy, and on a lot of these notes that I've created, they were before the match, so I'm going to be swallowing my words on most of the things I say. (laughs) But the word fallacy means a mistaken belief, especially one based on an unsound argument. We call them that because they are under the illusion that the L.A. market belongs to them and that they are the only team in L.A. that matters. Despite today's result, that's a mistaken belief. It really is. So if you were wondering why or how or what the heck we, why we refer to them as a fallacy, there's my reasoning. And my reasoning is my reasoning alone, but since Scarf is one <laughs> half of the reasoning and California happens to be a community property state, it's our reasoning. We're married together. So you're we saying, have a bank account and you and Nina don't. So, so you're, you're, everything I say, you're going to own it too. So you're, so, well, eesh. So you're saying I got to go down on this Titanic with you, my friend. Okay. Well, what uh, do they drink, by the uh, way, on the Titanic, my friend? What's that? Sanka. There you go. <laughs> Pretty much Sanka is what oh, our LAFC team did. This, but. You, you found a way to make this more painful. Yeah. All right. So I, honestly, it was weird to see Bank of California Stadium, first of all, on television. The fact that there was something going on at the bank, Philly, that you and I weren't there for. The fact that there was something going on at the bank where the 22,000 of the black and gold faithful were not there. Where the 3252 weren't there Two hours before, filling up all the seats, chanting, getting everybody hyped for what was going on today. Not that anybody ever needs reasons to be hyped for the L.A. Derby, the Battle of Los Angeles. It's one of those things, Philly, where it was weird. I've seen Dodger Stadium on television with the cardboard cutouts. And by the way, I'm really happy we don't have cardboard cutouts. It's just a personal thing. But... 
but it's been weird to see Dodger Stadium with the cardboard cutouts. It's been weird to see our Lakers play. I don't know if you, I haven't seen a Knicks game on in quite a while, but it's been weird to see our <laughs> Lakers play in front of like TV screens that would seem to be really distracting, by the way, if I was playing. We've been watching playoff hockey, Philly. You might mention at this on this podcast at some point the Islanders. Yes. And they've been playing in front of no fans, but now this one, this one hurt, man. This was yeah. the bank. And this is the bank with like a, a TIFO draped over the entire 3252, which was awesome, by the way. Shout out formidable Fernando. Great concept, great artwork. That's right. What an incredible job that was. But to not see 3,252 people holding it underneath, to see the Figueroa Club and to see all of the area across from where the cameras are completely empty with like tarps over them or over part of it. And, and, you know, we mentioned this before, the South End had nobody in it. They showed all the different camera angles. It was just so weird. And this one hit home. It just, it hurt Philly. I mean, it really did. It's, it's crazy to think that our unfortunate exit from the tournament happened a little over three weeks ago. A match we'd like to soon forget. A match we didn't want to forget, though, is one where we destroyed, decimated, and demoralized that team from down the road 30-plus days ago. Unbelievable what a difference 30-plus day makes. Prior to this matchup, we faced our bitter and hated rivals a total of seven times. The series prior to this matchup was even. Both clubs, two wins, two losses, three ties. What's also deadlocked is the leading scorers in the rivalry. One will not be able to come back and and attack that goal because he's in Italy. If you're a Harry Potter fan, we're basically going to be referring to this guy much like they refer to Voldemort at Hogwarts. We never utter his name. The other guy is our captain, our leader, and our MVP, Carlos Vela. Both of these gentlemen sat on with nine goals apiece. Could that deadlock have been decimated in our favor? No, sadly enough, it was not. Now, Sebastian Legette, they loved him, boy, was quoted in the LA Times saying that an empty stadium could erase some of LAFC's advantage. He also said that in this rivalry, the fans play a part. Without them, it's kind of a fair game. Originally, my notes said, and I quote, WTF, is he smoking? Is Becky G supplying him the Maui Wowie? No. But unfortunately, that wasn't to be the case because here's the deal. He was right to a certain extent. Us not being there stinks, but that doesn't mean the Galaxy had a complete advantage. We were wrong. Us not being there might have been the difference maker, but where it really hurt was the fact that we missed Edward Atuesta. I can't imagine, though, how natural it must have been with, for these boys playing at the bank without us. What was supposed to make today exciting, though, Scarf? The return of Carlos Vela. We were going to get Carlos Vela back. The difference was going to be there. Fallacy's expensive signing wasn't playing. He's hurt, injured, hasn't been training, gained weight. I would assume he might have packed on a pounder or, or 14. I don't know. Cheech's first few months of the fallacy have no doubt been a massive letdown. If I were a fallacy fan, no doubt I would be furious. But their $75,000 striker scarf produced more offensive output today than their Galaxy star player has all season. All right, let me address a couple of the things that you said. Number one, I loved the quote by Sebastian Legette. Absolutely loved it because it was him admitting beyond a shadow of a doubt that the advantage that LAFC has over Carson is because of our incredible fan base, most notably the 3252. And he was waving the white flag when he said... 
at least it sort of takes away our advantage, which I love that that's him then admitting that we have an advantage when they come to our place. I do not believe that Carson feels like they have the same advantage as we do when we go down to their place. So that was awesome. That's fair, Scarf. But what I was thinking is that he thought on paper his team could really compete with ours. I really thought he was full of it making those statements. No, I'm with you. I don't you. disagree with you on your statement. But I'm the with fact you. that he thought that they had a shot coming into our arena with the team that we had kind of pissed me off, but he wasn't totally wrong. But what does it tell you if one of the things on a player's mind before you are facing your hated rival in the most important match of your season, just ask how important this was for Guillermo Barroscaloto. <laughs> they talked about it plenty of times on the telecast. Had the score been reversed, we might see some news after the match that Guillermo was relieved of his duties. And I said duty. But <laughs> honestly, it was one of those things where you want to be in a player's head before they even step onto the pitch. And it showed me what was already in the head of Sebastian Legette, who is, I believe, the longest tenured player on the team. So it was really, it, it, was, it made me smile when I saw that because at least he sort of gave a point to LAFC before he even walked in the building. And Philly, you are absolutely right to bring up Edward Atuesta. I did that on our IGTV series that we debuted before this match called One More Sleep. There is not a more important player in our entire system. Yes, I know we have Carlos Vela. I know we have Diego Rossi. There is not a more important player to our entire system that we run at this club than Edward Atuesta, and I don't think you saw any better of an indication of that than in today's game. We'll get into it, but we looked awful in the midfield so many times over the course of this match. Let's get into the lineups. Might as well get this recap over with, Scarf, because we are professionals here at Defenders of the Bank. We are trying to be. We are trying to be, and we're trying to be optimistic, although I I still want to put my head through a wall. That's neither here nor there. I'm going to maintain a false smile on my face. Anyway, our lineup. Not much changed, quite honestly, other than one glaring position in the midfield that we referred to, and of course, the return of the king. We had Kenneth Vermeer behind the pipes, Tristan Blackman, Dejan Jakovic, Eddie Segura, Diego Palacios, Latif Blessing, Pancho Janela, who we really thought would have stepped up and made his presence felt. He did not. He did not. He did not play a very good game. And I am putting that in the lightest way I can possibly put it. Correct. We really missed Edward Atuesta. We have shown that we can win without Carlos Vela, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to win without Edward Atuesta. More on that later. Mark Anthony K. that rounds up the midfield. Then we had Brian Rodriguez, who only he played the least amount of minutes in any of his games, I would say, since joining the starting lineup. The return of the King, Carlos Vela, and of course, the golden boot leader of the MLS's back tournament, Diego Rossi. Yeah, let's move on to Carson. And of course, they start David Bingham in goal. Their back line, Nick DePue has been starting in that back line over a much more expensive Giancarlo Gonzalez. He was benched at the exact same time that the final whistle blew in the 6-2 victory that we had over them in the tournament. So Nick DePue starting along with Daniel Steris, Emiliano Insua, and one of my least favorite players in MLS, Rolf God, I hate that guy. You had Sebastian Legette, Joe Coronavirus, and Perry Kitchen all in the middle, along with Ethan Zubak, Christian Pavone, and Julian Araujo up front. And I I gotta say it, Philly... If you would have said, all right, Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez against Julian Araujo, Ethan Zubak, and Christian Pavone, 
Yes, Pavone is as talented as any player in Major League Soccer, but you have our three going up against their three. That is a mismatch as many ways as you can slice it. That simply was not the case today, Philly. And look, honestly, the first, what, 10, 11 minutes of this match? More like 20. It, it was rough. It was sloppy. Look, we talked about Pancho Janela starting in Atuesta's place, no Chicha, Jonathan Dos Santos on the bench, and I thought coming into this, that maybe we might see, and this isn't hindsight being 2020. This is something I talked about earlier. Maybe we might see Carlos Vela coming off the bench just because he hasn't played in quite a while. Now, you mentioned it, Philly, when we were talking about this before. Do you leave your $11 million man on the bench to start a game ever when you've got not just an all-star on your bench, when you've got the reigning MVP and record-holding goal scorer? Probably not, right? But what we saw a lot of in the MLS's back tournament, Philly, especially with Portland, and and last I checked, it was Portland that won the whole stupid thing, was they started (laughs) to bring guys in late. You saw Diego Valeri coming in late. You saw other substitutes of theirs that would normally have been starters coming in late. We hear this a lot in the NBA, right? It's not who starts the game, it's who finishes the game. I thought we might have seen, just maybe, have seen... Bradley Wright Phillips start this match off and have the same three up front that we had for most of the MLS's back tournament. And then you have Carlos Vela come in after for a little bit of a change of pace, change of look. But look, it didn't happen. And really the only thing over the first five, ten minutes, we had that early ball into Ethan Zubak, and that wound up being a premonition of things to come. Because, look, Stu Holden mentioned it on the telecast, Zubak will just keep running until you take him out of the game. And that's what he did today, put himself in some great places. LAFC had a corner in the ninth minute, and then Galaxy had a corner in the tenth just some bad defending by Tristan Blackman. But then Philly, 13th minute, David Bingham tries to give us a little gift. Yeah, he almost hand-wrapped it to us. I mean, bad ball picked off, pretty much ricocheted off Raito, picked up by Latif Blessing, passed it over to Kay. Unfortunately, Kay's shot on goal went way above the crossbar. That really could have been our first attempt at striking hard. 16th minute, Palacios takes a knock to the head by Rolf Felcher's elbow. A lot of elbows got thrown as far as this game was concerned. Yeah, Philly, you didn't mention what I thought was the most interesting fact of the first half. Which part? In the 15th minute, we learned that the assistant referee missed all of last season with an injury. Yeah, he must have torn his tricep holding that offside (laughs) flag so many times throughout the course of last season. That was... How do you get injured standing in one place for a course of 90 minutes? Maybe I, I, you and I could do that, but we're not professional referees. <laughs> who, who was it? I think it might have been, was it Dexter, right? And we, so uh, we had a few people send Philly some videos for his birthday, and it was absolutely fantastic. By the way, that's his 40th birthday that we were celebrating. Yeah, yeah. I thought we've moved on from that. We have, but Dexter had a great comment. He goes, at this age, you start to get sports injuries from doing everyday mundane tasks. And, and I have a feeling we can, you know, maybe... I don't know, commiserate with the referee just a little bit. Uh, 19th minute, corner for LAFC, but nobody on the back post. Yet. And I, I don't have any other notes up until the 26th minute, Philly. And, and that was when the frustration began for us. Yeah, 26th minute, the Galaxy draw first blood on an Ethan Zubak header. Completely unmarked he was, Scarf. Completely unmarked. Had he not been there, there were multiple other people that could have been there. Off that set piece, look, Schmitty McMittens could have headed that in the net. You or I could have headed that in the net. And just like that, Ethan Zubak, a man who makes $75,000 a year, which is probably about $7 million less than Chicharito, ties him in goals. And once again, we find ourselves in that familiar position of playing from behind. 
But as Stu Holden referred onto the, onto the telecast, this was perhaps a poking of the bear. But it might as well have been Yogi Bear because that bear was nowhere as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Philly, the first seven matches of the battle for Los Angeles, only once did the team that scored first actually win the match. So I didn't put too much stock into this. But you mentioned it, Philly. If Ethan Zubak doesn't score, there were two other players in the box completely unmarked that could have put it home. The only silver lining I had from this entire play was that at least it wasn't Rolf Felcher that scored the stupid goal. Oh, that but, ponytail. I just want to take a scissor to it. But Philly, what? They, there was apparently there was some sort of zone marking that went on that actually didn't happen. I mean, people just lost their way. It was awful. And they interviewed Bob Bradley, what, a minute or two after that happened, and then Bob just unloads on his guy saying, we've been a step slow the whole time. We've been slow. They've been attacking. It's hard to do anything right when we're slow. Bob started to lay into them. I can't imagine what halftime was like, by the way. But it was just what bad defending, unfortunately, on that goal. The first shot on target for either team so far, and it was two Southern Californians coming together to make it happen. That's the worst part with Julian Araujo and Ethan Zubak. You know, 28th minute, Brian Rodriguez has a set piece. He just hammers it a little high, a little wide. I was thinking, okay, maybe he's going to try something ambitious here. He did, but unfortunately, that took us to the hydration break. And Philly, right out of the break, Zubak makes another quality run, and he's just one of those guys that's causing trouble for us. And look, there was a lot of boring play back and forth from there until about the 43rd minute. If you want to chime in with anything before then, but Philly, you and I both had a conniption, I believe, in the 43rd minute when we saw Kenneth Vermeer out at midfield. Oh, dear God. Had a heart attack. Almost had a heart attack. He was roughly around the same position that Voldemort was in when he scored that first goal in his first appearance against Tyler Miller. What was he doing that far? We would get angry at him when he would come outside the box. He was center pitch, man. Absolute (laughs) center pitch. If the Galaxy had a striker, much like Voldemort from the previous season, wide open net. It's like It was like a hockey thing. They, They had a power play. What the heck was he doing? But... The thing, I mean, that's pretty much the tale of the first half. What frustrates me the most is that we made somebody like Ethan Zubak look like a threat. Ethan Zubak was a threat. Our back line made Ethan Zubak look like a threat. How is that possible? This kid, and God bless him, he's making good money, he's playing professional football, great. $75,000 when it comes to other jobs, nothing to like, you know, joke about. But in professional sports, nothing. He looked like a million dollar guy today. Why? Because we did not play a very, very good game. Galaxy clogged up the middle, obviously taking advantage of the fact that we had a young Pancho Janela in there and no Edward Atuesta. I said it earlier. If you had any doubts about Edward Atuesta, watching this game proved that we need him so bad. Pancho Janela, Perhaps he is a player to come off the bench for the foreseeable future. I would be really terrified if we sold Edward Atuesta and that job, that role in the midfield belonged to Pancho Janela. I didn't feel like he was ready, and I don't feel like he would be ready for the time being to do that. But the best thing, Scarf, that I saw in the first half <laughs> was Eddie Segura clobbering Sebastian Legette in a Randy Macho Man Savage-style fashion. Elbow to the face and another one of the Adam's apple. Change that Instagram to elbows love dem boy because that's exactly what kept colliding with Sebastian Legette. Unfortunately, he had the last laugh. The first half stats, if you really want to hear them, Galaxy just dominated with fouls and had the advantage with corners. It wasn't a pleasant first half for either team. It wasn't enjoyable. It was crap. Forgive me for saying it, but it was crap. 
can't paint a better or more accurate picture. It was pure crap. First half was for the birds. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what Bob was saying to his boys at halftime. But the message wasn't received because the second half, arguably just as bad, if not as worse, as the first. Yeah, Philly, a couple of changes in the first half. We saw Rayito Brian Rodriguez come off. You mentioned it. The fewest minutes that he's played in a start. The last time he played this few of minutes was, of course, when he subbed on for Carlos Vela after an injury, and we'll get to that in a second. So we had Brian Rodriguez coming off, Dayon coming off for Jose Cifuentes and BWP, which moved Latif Blessing to right back, and that turned out to be significant later on in the game as well. A a little tussle between Julian Araujo and Captain Canada, Mark Anthony Kay there in the 48th. And, and there were just so many times where our long passes throughout the first half and even more so in the second half, and I mentioned this because there were a couple in the 49th minute that were just terrible. They led to turnovers after turnovers after turnovers. Our long passing game has not been there for the last couple of months, to be perfectly honest. The only time it connected even somewhat decently was against the poorest Carson defense in the bubble, but obviously that has shored itself up. And the first real solid chance we had, Philly, 50th minute, Carlos Vela chipping the ball a bit too far. It was going to be a a nice back post play by Rossi if he could have got to it, but unfortunately he couldn't. But a great pass through by Latif to get it to Vela, who just missed Rossi. Congrats to Tristan for getting the first yellow card of the game. (laughs) And then there in the 54th minute, it was bad defending by Latif Blessing. Unfortunately, he was caught out of position. Yep. And, and look, you can't really blame him, right? His job when he's on the midfield is to wreak havoc out there. He's going all over the place. He got caught out of position because now he's playing right back. And, you know, Julian Araujo again, his second nice assist of the match and an easy finish for Sebastian Legette, unmarked yet again. The two goals, Philly, I found myself thinking after each goal, because this has kind of been the culture and the environment around our goalkeeper position lately, Philly. I found myself thinking, ooh, was that Vermeer's fault? Are we going to have a goalie controversy? I don't see how, personally, you pin definitely the first goal. I mean, please go back and look. It should have been three goals on one play. It, it could have been anybody on that play that could For have sure. it. This one, again... Vermeer is left 1v1 with an offensive attacking player who has a full head of steam and is going to try to get him going the wrong direction. Sebastian Legette finishes it easy, and all of a sudden we're down 2-0, and that was when we thought it couldn't get any worse, Philly. Flash forward two minutes later to the 56th. What the hell is wrong with our team is what I thought prior to that. On paper, this shouldn't have been close. Stu Holden said it best. This is not the LAFC team that we are used to seeing. Quite frankly, shell of their former self. But here's where it gets scary. 56 minute, throughout, in an actual play, Latif Blessing passes the ball to Carlos Vela, and he just stops. He didn't have anybody around him. He just stopped. He limped off the pitch. As if things couldn't get worse at this point, where 56 minutes into the game, Carlos Vela comes out ending his 11 straight game scoring streak. Out goes Vela. And quite honestly, the guy who's probably the biggest offensive threat for our club came in. Adrian Perez, welcome back. But Carlos Vela coming out, and it just kind of goes back to your point where you mentioned, should we have started Carlos Vela? Wouldn't it have made more sense for Bradley Wright Phillips to come in and then we could have put Carlos Vela into the match? 
I mean, yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. How are you going to keep your MVP out? If he was ready to go, you're going to trust that man. How are you going to sit the guy who scored that many goals, led, broke so many records, the MVP of the league? If he was ready to go, if I were Bob, I would have put him in. I wouldn't have thought about it otherwise. We can make the argument that he shouldn't have played because his match fitness might have not been there. And quite honestly, he wasn't a factor in this game at all. The only time we even really remotely saw him was when he had that pass to Diego Rossi. But at that point, when Diego caught it off his chest, he was already out of bounds. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. Yeah, Philly, reading the quote by Bob Bradley after doesn't make me feel any better either. Here's the quote from Bob on the Carlos Vela injury. We'll need at least a day or two to fully assess, but just before that play, he took the shot. The shot was blocked. So that is usually, and this is where I cringe a little bit, an MCL-type situation. So that is what we will look at in the next day or two. Oh, brother. An MCL situation isn't even like a small $5 punk band I would want to go see at any <laughs> Los Angeles concert, let alone have it... Even be, if they open up for Steel Panther? Even if they open up for Steel Panther, I'm not seeing the MCL-type situation because, honestly, that's that's bad. If, if Carlos Vela is dealing with an MCL-type situation, look, do we have the firepower to maybe withstand this? Sure. Sure, but that's putting an awful lot on the shoulders of Bradley Wright Phillips and Adrian Perez. Now, that being said, I really liked what we saw from Bradley Wright Phillips today. I really, 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 really liked what I saw from the pride of Loyola Marymount University, Adrian Perez, because he's the one that does come in. You mentioned it, Philly, when Carlos Vela goes out injured, but losing Carlos Vela, that's, that's that's your lifeblood. That's your heartbeat on offense. Oh, I, if we're going to be out Vela for a couple of games, it's going to be rough. It, it really is. And what, what could have been even more rough, 60-second minute scarf. Pavone absolutely torches Latif. Absolutely torched him. And if it wasn't for Diego Palacios, and for that matter, Kenneth Vermeer, and if Ethan Zubak had a better touch, the Galaxy would have put the nail in the coffin. They yeah. could have easily have gone up 3-0 Should at that been. point. Should have been. Pavone... I hate to say it, Pavone played a really, really good game. He was the difference maker. He's he's always been the threat that that club's had. Yes, Jonathan Dos Santos is that, but he's not healthy enough to play a full game. On paper, whatever you want to say, Christian Pavone is really the best player on the Galaxy. And he showed it. He made Latif Blessing, our energizer bunny, our, 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 our speed demon. He torched him in the most embarrassing of ways. It's like you or I were out there playing defense scarf <laughs> on Christian Pavone. Luckily, it wasn't 3-0 at that point. Now, there was some breaths of fresh air. There was some sign of life. In the 65th minute, we had Mohamed El Manir sub in for Diego Palacios, and we had Bryce Duke come in for Pancho Janela, who, like I said earlier, did not play a very good game, and that's the easiest way I can describe that. But what was kind of scary to us was that did we really get better, or did we kind of put a Band-Aid on a stitch? The Carson Fallacy subbed out Zubak for Jonathan Dos Santos. Unfortunately, they got better as far as paper was concerned. Yeah, they probably got better. We talked about this in our One More Sleep segment on IGTV yesterday. Jonathan Dos Santos is the most important player on Carson. It was just at the point that he subbed in for Ethan Zubak, 
they needed him to be more of the defensive holding midfielder than to be the straw that stirs their offensive drink. So he did that just fine. Jonathan Dos Santos is a fantastic quality player. When he is healthy, I firmly believe he might be a top 10, top 15 player in Major League Soccer. So I wasn't a big fan of knowing that as this game progressed and as we stayed behind 1-0 and then 2-0, that Carson would still have the ability to bring Jonathan Dos Santos off the bench. In the 74th minute, Philly, you mentioned how talented this kid is, Christian Pavone. He just tore through two of our defenders. We're talking about Mohamed Elmanir and Eddie Segura, two of our better defenders, personally, in my opinion, on the team, and just made them look awful. He wasn't able to get a lot on the shot, but it just gave you a little bit of a glimpse into what he feels confident in doing 1v1. And I want to stop to just address one thing real quick, because what a lot of people might be prone to do in this situation. And I I get it, sort of, but no. The comparison between Christian Pavone and Brian Rodriguez, I just want to point one thing out about Christian Pavone. In fact, I'll I'll probably make it two things, if you don't mind. Christian Pavone is 24 years old. Brian Rodriguez is 19. So five more years of experience. Clearly, Christian Pavone is something special. I have said it over and over again that I think Brian Rodriguez will develop into something extremely special. The other thing is, you have to remember, Christian Pavone did wonderful things at Boca Juniors and won trophies for them before coming to Major League Soccer. Brian Rodriguez hasn't had that type of an experience at Peñarol. So just everybody pump the brakes for a little bit. This was a game where, Philly, you mentioned it. Christian Pavone, he didn't score either goal. But he might have been the best player on the pitch today for Carson for a ton of different reasons that won't even show up in the initial box score. 79th minute, though, again, the pride of LMU, Adrian Perez. His second shot of being in there, what, about 10, 12 minutes or so at that point? Actually, more like 20, I think, at that point. But he had two decent chances, right? He played with mustard. Two decent strikes, and that's what we were looking for from pretty much anybody the setup by Pavone once again in the 81st minute forces a save from Kenneth Vermeer and honestly there just wasn't anything going our way almost Philly until stoppage time 92nd minute yeah you're right 92nd minute a chance for Cifuentes but there was complete miscommunication between him and Bradley Wright Phillips headed out to the left you can see it right away Bradley Wright Phillips put up his hand and goes Talk to me, fellas. Talk to me. That might have been a chance. And even if they did score it, it would have been too little too late. That was really the game, Scarf. I, I, mean, I don't know. What about that That in the fourth minute there of stoppage time? Diego Rossi with the free kick just outside the box. He gave it a run. Imagine if Sifu puts that one in. Imagine if Sifu puts that one in. Yeah. It's 2-1. I know. I know. We're playing you know, 2020 being hindsight and everything. But if Sifu's able to put that in, if we have a little bit more communication, and then Rossi, oh my God, would you imagine two goals in stoppage time? It Look, it's, it's <laughs> it, the it stuff. It happened recently. <laughs> it's the in stuff Champions that League. you're absolutely Ask- right. PSG. It's the stuff that dreams are made of, but unfortunately, that ends the nightmare for this match. A little parting gift for Guillermo Barros-Colozzo with a yellow card in the fifth minute of stoppage time. But, man, Philly, to me, the most frustrating game that I have ever watched for the black and gold, any loss, and we're talking about the playoff loss to Seattle, not nearly as frustrating. We're talking about the playoff loss to Real Salt Lake the year before. Not nearly as frustrating, although it was unexpected. And what about the loss to Leon, where I was there in the stadium watching our team just take a whooping by Leon? None of those three losses 
are nearly as frustrating as this. And you and I were both feeling it, Philly. It was part of it was obviously this might be the worst I've seen us look in ever, if not maybe our top three worst performances that we've ever had as a club. And I don't want to hear that the weather was an excuse because it's not like Carson was playing in a different type of weather than we were the whole game. I I don't want to hear that match fitness was an excuse because Carson hasn't played in a match in much longer than we haven't played in a match. Now, granted, they've been able to practice a little bit more because they've been sitting at home doing a whole lot of nothing, but I don't care. What made this so much more painful is that, Philly, you and I and the millions... And millions. ...of Defenders of the Bank listeners and black and gold faithful live and die by this club partially because we're able to be there with them. And, of course, no, we're not out on the pitch. We're not there at training. But we are there as part of the cathedral of the black and gold. We are there in the choir singing their praises, and we are there to lift them up in their darkest moments, this certainly being one of them. But we couldn't be there Today, For all of the reasons that it was weird to see Bank of California Stadium on my television and not be there for it, it was heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, sickening to not, and understandably so, to not be there at Bank of California Stadium to watch our boys in black and gold win or lose. What I want to do is, I, d- I want to give a quick shout out to our buddy Al Ray, the director of Match Day Presentation. Watching the match with the pumped in noise and the recordings of supporters that was going on throughout the course of the week. Watching it on TV, yes, there were no fans there, but you wouldn't have noticed if you were paying attention to the actual match itself because the noise was there. So I just wanted to commend them on a good job. You're absolutely right. Us not being there hurts. We bleed black and gold. We love this club. We have heart. We have passion for it. And when you go into a match and you see your team play their hearts out and lose, that's one thing. Unfortunately, though, and this goes back to what Bob was saying in the halfway through the first half, they were playing slow. Everything was slow. They were, it was like molasses. No heart, no mustard, no passion, no pizzazz, playing with the heart moxie of a platypus. Lollygaggers. And I mean, <laughs> lollygaggers. And I mean, no disrespect to the platypuses out there. <laughs> this match made me want to drink a gallon of Old Milwaukee and scarf. I hate Old Milwaukee. Absolutely hate it. Does Old Milwaukee come in gallon size? It might have, maybe. Oh. I mean, it might as well just come in a can that says beer. It's just awful. Just threw up in my Stay mouth. the hell away from Old Milwaukee. Unless you want to sponsor us, and then I'll, I, I might acquiesce. But anyway, <laughs> to quote my wife, I've never been more ready to, to end an LAFC match right away as I was with this. Again, no Atuesta hurts. No Vela hurts. Stu Olden said this, and I'm going to hang on to it because it made me feel a little better. We're exercising our demons right now. We have a four-day turnaround, so we're going to put this behind us. But Stu Holden said these exact words. You don't become a bad team overnight. I appreciate that statement because we definitely became a bad team over the course of the 30 days, but we have Real Salt Lake in four days. <laughs> we have Real Salt Lake in four days. Yes, it sucks that Dave Bingham got his first shutout on LAFC. It sucks that we had two shots on target all game. It sucks that the Galaxy win their first game of the season, and it sucks even more that it happens to be against us and our freaking home of all places. But football is an ornery mistress. She really is. We killed them <laughs> 6-2 to two prior, and we lose 2-0 to nil at home. We possibly have our best player injured for a significant period of time. I'm trying with this glass half full perspective. It really isn't there. But we do have a turnaround in four games. 
And we've only lost one game all season. And uh, this is me really reaching for it. If we do win the MLS trophy at the end of the season, whatever, man. Look, you hear a lot. The, the one that I hear about all the time, right, is Jim Harbaugh, the coach of Michigan, right, whose job I feel like has been on the hot seat for months and months and years and years. And he'll tell you, if I lose the other nine or ten games of the season and I beat Ohio State, then it was a successful season. Well, Carlos Vela himself is the one that said on ESPN to a reporter into a microphone, anything less than MLS Cup is a loss for the season. It's a failure on the team's part. So until they hand out the MLS Cup to anybody other than us, we still have, at least in Carlos Vela's eyes, and I know in yours and mine, the opportunity to have an extremely successful season. I mean, look, if we would have won MLS Cup last year, we wouldn't have beaten Carson in the regular season either. The games that matter come in the playoffs. The games that matter come towards the end of the season when you're fighting for playoff spots. And now I know these three points are worth the same as three points later on in the season. But here's what I will say about this episode for me, Philly. And I'm kind of taking a page from your playbook, my friend, because you like to keep things positive. You like to keep the glass, as you say, half full, even if you have to refill it several times during the course of an episode. And trust me, I do. So I'm going to say this. I think what this episode has been for me, because we're nearing the end of our episode here, what this episode has been for me is a cathartic experience. It's been a bit of therapy. I've been able to sit here and talk with my partner in pod and (laughs) co-therapist for the last hour or so. How many minutes are we at, by the way? I don't know, like 50-something. All right, so we're going to have to do some editing, but we'll we'll be under an hour, it looks like, for this podcast. And what this has been for both Philly and myself, and I'm putting words into Philly's mouth, but I think he's okay with this one, is it's been a bit of a therapy session. It's just coming right after the match rather than letting things stew and letting things sit there and having this build up. No, I'm going to be as upset and as frustrated about this match when I bring it up a year from now on this day in LAFC history as I am right now. Because I don't like making LAFC history in the bad way. The first shutout ever goes to Carson. The first real bad loss that we've taken in quite some time. Really, Philly, honestly, I don't think Seattle was that bad of a loss in the playoffs. We got whooped by that team, but they... It honestly felt like they were better than we were on that day. For me, this kind of goes back to the Mason toy match that they brought up on the telecast that we also lost 2-0. We were flat. It was awful. But this is against the sash-wearing Carson Galaxy. Are you kidding me? So I'm going to use this hour, Philly, as my therapy. So thank you for helping me save my whatever billable rate is for my therapist that I I do see on occasion. Thank you. This is my way of keeping it glass half full that now that we have, you know, gotten to the end of this episode and finished talking about this, I can put this away and not think about it again until we bring it up on this day in LFC history a year from now. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. We're exercising our demons. Look, defenders, here's the deal. And this isn't even a matter of glass half full. It's factual. On Wednesday, we play real Salt Lake. Four days after that, we play the Flounders. A couple days after that, the Smurfquakes. And 15 days from today, we have our rematch against Carson at Carson. We don't have time to dwell on this, all right? We should be fortunate enough that our season isn't over. We have three very tough matchups coming right up, right away, one after the other. In 15 days, defenders, we're playing four freaking games. 
There are a lot of other questions that are going to come into play. Who's healthy enough to go? Who, who's match ready fit? What's going to happen to Carlos Vela? We got a lot of things to worry about. Put this in the back burner. Put it in your pipe. Smoke it, drink it, whatever it is that you have. Let's forget about it. This is our way of exercising our demons. We've got a lot of things coming up within the next 15 days. And for those of you listening this far into the podcast, again, we thank you for your support. It is about 6.40 in the evening on Saturday, the 22nd. A little bit of breaking MLS news. I don't want to jinx them, and Lord knows I've done very little to help our team lately, so we'll see what happens. But in the 72nd minute, the fighting Ibises of Inter-Miami are up 3-1 on Orlando. Oh, this could be the first, first win, win for Miami. Carranza with two goals. Pizarro. Pizarro's really, really good, by the way. Oh, my goodness. They're up 3-1. This could be the first win for Inter-Miami. And make sure you take a look at Pizarro's celebration with a cardboard cutout after he scored his goal. Jumped into the stands, celebrated with cardboard. If this does, in fact, go down as the first win for Miami, congratulations. At least the first goal in your team's history was not scored by a former member of the Black and Gold. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Now, before we end the episode, one thing we normally give you is our wait. What? Moment of the pod. And quite honestly, just us losing in the Carson Galaxy fallacy whatever the hell you want to call them. That really is our wait. What? Moment of the match. I don't really have anything major other than that. Uh, what's your wait? What? Do you have one? I'm, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> mine, unfortunately, is the 58th minute of this match when we saw Carlos Vela pull up with an injury, and you and I both looked up at the TV and went, wait, what? what? Yeah. It was... I guess I already blocked that out of my mind. Yeah, that was... Right, we, this is our therapy session, right? Yeah. Look... Paging Dr. Ray, Freud, Dr. Ray Philly Salt and Scarf. Rayal Salt Lake. Therapy needed in Culver City. Four days. We've done terrible things to Rayal Salt Lake up in Salt Lake City. I think we can do the same with or without Carlos Vela, to be completely honest. But it is going to take a lot from our front line and from our team altogether over the course of these next few games. And we play the next five games in short order. That's for oh, sure. Real short. So we'll see what it looks like without Carlos Vela. Teeth blessing short. It's, I'm going to say this, Philly. Isn't our last match of these first six also against Carson? It is. But then we'll start another phase. There's another phase potentially coming on the horizon. Right, right, right. Here's but as, what, this, as far as this phase is concerned, you are absolutely here's right. Here's what I'm going to say. I don't want to see Carlos Vela until at least the Carson match. Let's sit him for the next four matches. I get it, right? We have a lot of travel going on between. We're going to Salt Lake. We're going to Portland. And that's it, right? Because then we go down to Carson. So, yeah, the other two are at home. Sit Carlos Vela. If he is not 100% healthy and match fit and ready to roll, let's have a seat, Carlos Vela. That's all I've got to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. And, Philly, this has been a rough episode one. 12. I was, you know, I had this whole thing where I was going to bring up 112 songs and we were going to say, I'll be missing you because I was missing them because I haven't. <sighs> yeah, I, it's tough, man. Like, we, we, we put so much work into this pod, right? Uh, and we have so much fun with it. We write our notes in a lot of cases beforehand, but unfortunately, every time we do this, we're taking a 50% gamble because there's always the other side of the coin. We write everything under the impression that our team's going to win. Maybe we have to start tapering our expectations to the fact that we don't have the dominant team currently that we had last season. Maybe we need to taper that. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't know, but... We're going to have more fun as the season progresses. It's so tough to give you these pods and try to be optimistic and happy, but 
in a way, again, like you said, this is our, this is our therapy session. So the fact that we can actually come out of this, a couple of smiles, a couple of jokes, the fact that you referred to Ted Lasso in the very beginning of this <laughs> podcast did an amazing job disarming me of any like visceral hatred I had towards <laughs> anything. Because if you can't laugh at Ted Lasso and Jason Sudeikis, I don't know what the heck you could laugh at. I mean, this has been good for me. Hopefully it's good for the millions. And millions. Out there just for you to vent. And, and, and that's really it. Yeah, apparently- Unless you want to talk about the shoes. No, just one last... No, uh, well... Oh, do I? Nah. Do we want to talk about the shoes? Look, here's what I know for sure. And I, I, it, this is inside information that I can give you that I found out today. A very small number of these shoes were in fact made, number one. Which, by the way, nobody cares about, right? Because you guys didn't get a pair, so it doesn't matter how many they made. It's one pair too few for anybody out there who didn't get them that woke up at 6.30 in the morning and tried to go on at 7. But here's the other thing I will say. This is straight from LAFC Brass, near the top. They are working with Adidas for a second launch of these shoes. They're working with Adidas. This was something that, look, the one thing I'll kind of laugh at for our our marketing and sales department, according to the person that I talked to, they didn't think this was going to be a big thing. (laughs) Look, you and I have 20 jerseys. Here's what, here's what <laughs> I will say. Look, we know that the LAFC marketing and sales department listens to our podcast, and we do appreciate you guys for listening. Here's what I will say. Assume everything like this is going to be a big thing. It's only the world's most recognizable shoe. It's only the staple shoe that you see at Christmas Tree Lane and Bank of California Stadium. And now you're going to put the black and gold all over it with LAFC? Uh, yeah, it's going to sell out because LAFC is a worldwide brand. We need millions and millions of pairs of these shoes, not just the amount that I know that we had that I don't want to say about the number because I don't think I'm supposed to say, but I don't really care. Look. We need more of those shoes. That being said, anybody who didn't get some, just remember, they're working with Adidas to hopefully get a second wave. My only thing, and I I will end it at this, if you're going to do these launches, and as exciting as they are, I don't know, I've only recently started learning about shoe culture, and obviously it's it's a thing. I, I never was one of those people who would wait in line for anything. I don't even like waiting in line to get food or a gas station, let alone a pair of sneakers. I don't, I don't have that in me. I, just, I have no patience. I have a New York state of mind. Everything's boom, boom, bam, bam. But the one thing I will say to the people that may listen to this podcast that, that, that are on the Adidas side, don't, don't. Don't release these things on match days because it really took away from (laughs) anything that happened on social media. The first half of this morning was all focused negatively on the fact that people couldn't get shoes. Is it a big deal? No, in the grand scheme of it, but to some it was, okay? So my saying my piece is my like exercising my demons. Do these launches. Do what you got to do. Don't do them on match days. Let us all focus on the match and not what type of swag we can pick up on those game days. The fact that they released these shoes on Derby Day, could it have been a good thing? Sure. But knowing the numbers that were out there and knowing the amount of people that wouldn't get shoes, it really took away from a lot. At least reading social media, a lot of people's joy in getting ready for Derby Day. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scar. No, but you also have 40-year-old knees, so it's only going to get even harder for you to stand in line for things right now. So it's a good thing that you don't like that. And I think that's a good spot for us to end the podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> and you guys know how we like to end our podcast. We can't wait for 113 in just four days. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.